passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Post Daily News Show. I am John Pollock. Wei Ting is off today, but we have brought in the heavy artillery for today's discussion. Uh, we're going to be going into uh, the WWE's ongoing relationship uh, with Saudi Arabia, and I thought that these two individuals would be uh, the perfect people to have on. First up, returning for the second time this week, you know him as the man behind WrestleNomics that can be heard every Sunday here on the Post Wrestling Network, Brandon Thurston, who has brought out the shirt and tie for today's yes. discussion. So you know it's a big one. Yes. This isn't breaking news. This is this is scheduled news. So yes. I, I yes. was able to put on the tie before I left the house this morning. Thank biggest you, draw, biggest draw in the short history of the Post Daily News Show, Brandon Thurston, uh, with this past Tuesday show uh, by yeah. a, a significant leaps and bounds. I think, I think Cody gets some credit there, but yes. Mm, minimal. Uh, but also joining us, a man that you have read his work uh, with such outlets as Deadspin, Business Insider, Fanbyte. He is behind Babyface, V Heel, and Between the Sheets, your favorite follow on Twitter. We are talking about David Bixenspan, who is here with us. Mr. Bixenspan, how are you? I mean, maybe I'm your favorite follow on Twitter. Oh, everyone's a must follow, both of you, uh, in, in the pro wrestling space. Uh, so today we wanted to kind of uh, spend some time talking a bit more in depth about the, the WWE relationship to Saudi Arabia and sort of the, the coverage that comes with that. And I think it's like an interesting topic because it's one that I think many people are kind of at odds with of how you really go about and, and cover these shows. And Brandon, you kind of got this uh, ball rolling in my head last Friday when you put out the thread that you did. And my first question is whether you just sent this and walked away or you came back for the mentions afterwards, because, I mean, it's uh, one of those things where you are going to get a very, uh, very divisive uh, response to something like that. But I think those are all the subjects that are front and center that people kind of are in conflict when it comes to these shows. Yeah, well, for, on a personal note, I've recently decided that I will no longer look at any replies or any quote tweets in response to my own tweets. So so it was very easy to, to just tweet it, and then I haven't haven't looked at any of any of the response to it, um, other than I can see the numbers and whatnot. But but yeah, it's uh, I it, I guess I was hearing about um, all the the tweets that were being put out apparently because W sent out a 
news slam, which which seems to be their internal messaging to 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 wrestlers and and, and employees. Uh, and everyone was using the line "W continues to influence the world." Uh, and they were sharing the Becky Lynch and Lita poster uh, billboard that's advertising uh, the Crown Jewel event in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I thought it was a good time to revisit the problems with W in Saudi Arabia. And David, maybe you just want to refresh people like the WWE's history, like in Saudi Arabia, like it goes back to the, like the first set of shows were 2014. And these were like very small, like live events that kind of just flew under the radar. And then we got the announcement of the big, you know, 10, 10 year deal that happened in early 2018. Right. I feel like the shows before they actually were partnering or being bought by the government, however you want to put it, I feel like the thing that got the most attention at the time was that Sami Zayn was on the shows because he wasn't on the main roster yet, which, boy, with hindsight, does that feel interesting and bizarre, being that he's been kept off of all of these shows by the request of the Saudi royal family because either because he's Syrian, presumably, or because he's raising money for charities that help people who were killed by bombs that were made by Saudi Arabia or dropped by Saudi Arabia, I guess would be the right way to put it. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really like that first show was such a, um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of, you know, questions asked and conflict going into the first show, but just the presentation of that, first show, Brandon, where you just saw like what these were, like it like very overt in terms of the the propaganda that was going to be utilized on these shows. Um an extremely like mind boggling angle uh leaning on the conflict involving uh Iran and Saudi Arabia using the Davari brothers. It was just a show that even if you wanted to go in and just try and divorce this show from politics, uh that show would not allow you to do such a thing. Yeah, and I don't want to give anybody the false impression that I'm like a uh, international affairs expert, but I think the W's relationship with Saudi Arabia has, uh, to look at it in, in, in one positive light, is that it's caused me and probably a lot of other people to learn a lot about Saudi Arabia's place in the world and um, all the all the issues around women's rights, all the issues around LGBT rights, the blockade of Yemen. Um, so in, in April 2018, when the first show happened... Uh, this wasn't as big a deal yet. That, that would come in the second show in November 2018 because it, it came so close in terms of the timing to the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. But that, that first uh, event, it didn't have that much controversy, that much light shed on the controversy yet. Uh, but the, the pre-show played this video uh, that was, I, I imagine, prepared by the, the Saudi government itself, uh, just sort of celebrating... You know, women can drive now, and they have the new new progressive leader, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, so that was played on the, on the pre-show, pretty clearly a uh, a video, a public relations video, meant to uh, push forward the the Saudi Vision 2030 agenda, which is their economic and public relations plan to sort of wean themselves off of oil and to, to uh, grow the economy and to, and to repair Saudi Arabia's image in the world. Um, that happened at, at the end. Uh, there's the Saudi official awarding the greatest Royal Rumble title to Braun Strowman along with Vince McMahon. Uh, you've got John Cena making, making comments about how great it is to be in the country and for, for welcoming WWE there. Um, 
that to, to, to kick off the relationship. Uh, but things would get quite a bit worse and quite, quite a bit more scrutiny uh, in the second event because the second event in November happened, a, a, I think, one month exactly from yes. the day that Jamal Khashoggi was killed in Turkey by Saudi agents. And I do want to add, too, with that Davari brothers angle, it needs to be pointed out that Sean Davari was not working for the company at the time. Yeah. He had not come back as a producer yet. Aria was the only one who was on the roster, and they were introduced as being from Iran when Aria had been introduced from the Twin Cities the whole time he'd been on in the company. So yeah, it was like, it, super heavy-handed. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, they, they have um, Aria like has spoken about it about like the response that they have got to the extent of death threats after the fact um, for for the angle. I mean, it just seemed like. Um, you know, it, it was just a show that I think, even if you are the most, um, you know, apolitical viewer of this, I mean, it really just threw this right into your face that you would have to confront this. And that was only exacerbated by this, the second show, which was where I, I think was the most contentious one with the proximity to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and the fact that this was one that certainly went outside of just simply uh, wrestling coverage and unrest to th- this was like a mainstream story of major American businesses uh, working or not working uh, with, with Saudi Arabia. And here is a company that was right in bed with, with the government going back for this show so close and even impacted the stock price, Brandon, that we can go back to. Like there were real, like you, you saw like real um, effects here of, of this of this move, but also one that they kind of just plugged their nose, went through it. And essentially that has really been kind of a strategy of WWE, just absorb whatever negativity is coming your way, push through, and the consequences ultimately are not are, are not there. They came out of it relatively unscathed and continued this very this very wealthy partnership. Yeah, it's uh at at, at the time there were questions about this on the earnings call. Um but uh they, they gave a very brief statement on the earnings call right after this event and said that they weren't going to because I think the, the actually the earnings call was days before the crown jewel event. Now that, now that I'm thinking of it, it was days before. So, and there was still uncertainty before, you know, in the, in the, in the hours and minutes before the earnings call happened, whether or not that event was going to happen. I think there were reports or speculation that maybe they would move that event to the UK or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they confirmed on that earnings call that they would be going ahead with the event, despite the heinous act, uh, it was their terminology. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it did, it did, push the, the stock price down a bit. There, there are problems, too, that we can probably get to later about uh, Amina TV rights deal that never happened. Um, but it, it pushed the stock price down a bit, at least in the short term. And uh, I think what we've learned, though, is that WWE, you know, there's a there's a hierarchy of influence, uh, an image that we've shared on the, on the WrestleNomics Twitter at one point, that Vince McMahon is at the top and uh, fans are way down at the bottom. But what's second from the top is business partners. And actually, Saudi Arabia is... I would say they're at this moment their number three business partner, uh, just behind NBC Universal and Fox in terms of the customer that gives them the most money. And SEC filings make that pretty clear to me. Uh, so, yeah, unless business partners were going to come forward and start to put pressure on W to do something and to, and to cancel that show or to stop this deal in general, uh, that that's that's the lesson. What I call the the Snickers doctrine. Uh, the the it, it takes Snickers. It takes a business partner. 
to complain to WWE to put pressure on them for them to do something in response to controversy, it seems. And David, you were doing a lot of reporting and writing, um, you know, you know, throughout this deal, but uh, especially around that crown jewel event in 2018. And this is one where, like, I'm, I'm sure we can all share our experiences that, um, trying to get any kind of substantive statement out of WWE, it's just, um, not going to be something you're going to have a whole lot of success with. And did you, did you find that in, in your reporting? Like, this seems to be the strategy of WWE is that for these, kinds of topics like we're not even going to put out a statement we're going to put the the very the bare minimum out like ahead of that invest, investors call it was a very brief reasoning for why they're continuing to do this but that's kind of the mo that they have found that kind of pr strategy of i mean it's been increasingly difficult for anyone to get a statement out of wwe about anything the last few years um i've generally had a harder time than most during that period but I mean, it wasn't even just WWE. So uh, you guys may remember, I think it was Dave Meltzer that had reported that there was some pressure from the federal government on them to not do the show. Um, I forget if he specified the State Department, but for one of the articles I was doing at Deadspin, I reached out to the State Department. I said, is this true? And they were giving these indirect answers, blah, blah, blah. You know, the State Department does not exercise any role in such matters. And I just, okay, but sure, but that's not answering the question. Did you actually communicate with them in any way saying not to do the show? (laughs) And the email I got back was, off the record, no. Now, for those of you who are not journalists or familiar with how this works, off the record is an agreement. You cannot unilaterally put something off the record. Now, in the shoes of the reporter, sometimes you have to weigh that against if you're going to have a future relationship with that company or that PR person. In this case, I didn't really see myself needing to deal with the State Department again, so I included it. The fact that they felt the need to say off the record to actually deny it, to me, said a lot. Yes, yes. There's always a... Uh... I always, I always try to, to really understand the, uh, the utilization of off the record, sometimes for the most, uh, bizarre answers that, that you are getting. Um, you know, Brandon, just, just in terms of now that we, like, I, I think, like, in terms of just a, a mainstream focus, it was certainly that, that 2018 show in November. I think in, inside of the wrestling world, you could certainly look at one year later with, with the flight delay and how that impacted SmackDown the next night, the lawsuit that would ultimately result in, in a, in a settlement of $39 million. But as we stand today, like, where do you sense kind of the, the public's appetite for these shows? The, you know, the, the questions that come with it? Because I think it has just been something where, this is a deal they are locked into, and I think that there is certain f- fatigue, and I can understand that among the fan base. Um, but, but I do think these are very important subjects to still be tackling and discussing rather than just sort of just accepting that this is how it's going to be conducted. Yeah, as I, I mentioned at the end of the, the Twitter thread that you brought up earlier, that the, the, the getting numb to it that I think you and, you and Way have talked about, the getting numb to it and just, it just becoming a regular thing, which, it's, it's going to be for 10 years in total. We're, we're four years into it, maybe 11 years because of the pandemic delay that it's for the deal to do what the Saudi government wants it to do, which is to, by the way, to, to broadcast a globally televised event throughout the world on Peacock domestically here in the United States 
on the W Network internationally to show uh, an event that you can sort of watch it and be like, well, what's the big deal? These, these people look like they're all right. They're having a good time. They're watching a big United States-based entertainment event. Saudi Arabia doesn't look like that bad of a country. And I'm, I'm hearing all these critical things about it. I don't know. This looks okay. And, hey, women are wrestling in big shirts, but they're, they're wrestling. Um, the public needs to be worn down for, for the deal to, to have the effect that, um, that they want it to have. Um, but yeah, we, we can talk about too the, um, the shareholders lawsuit and the, the delay in, uh, in Riyadh where, uh, the Saudi government, uh, what happened with the shareholders lawsuit is there's a, a class action shareholders lawsuit against WWE because they were supposed to do a media TV rights deal in Middle East, North Africa with a television company called MBC. They lost their previous uh, TV partner, OSN, in the region. They were apparently trying to make a deal with Middle East Broadcasting Company, which the Saudi government took control of as part of the 2017 Riyadh shakedown, where they loaded a lot of uh, powerful business people and politicians into a, a large hotel. And uh, to make a long story short, and ended up seizing a lot of their assets. Um, so the government majority controls that NBC network. Uh, but they never ended up making a deal with WWE as they, ex- as WWE expected, uh, and told shareholders, both in terms of George Berrios, the CFO at the time, doing, uh, conferences and in earnings calls. So, so stockholders were expecting this media TV rights deal to happen, which would allow WWE to reach its profit projection that it had publicly stated. So that deal never happened. Um, it appears because there's this pirate broadcaster called Be Out Q that may be funded by the Qatari government to troll the Saudi government. So W programming seems to be available in the region by a, because of a pirate broadcaster. This led to the, to the lawsuit, uh, which I was looking at today again. And, um, we get some confirmation about the fact that the deal really is worth $50 million. Um, but also it, it, uh, interviews an anonymous, uh, former W talent who, says that talent relations, uh, Mark Carano at the time told this W talent that there was a disagreement between Vince and Mohammed bin Salman, the, the de facto leader, crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and that Vince ordered that the, that the broadcast be cut in the middle of it for that crown jewel 2019 was a super showdown anyway. Um, and that purportedly is, it would, would be the reason why the, the flight was delayed in on uh, Halloween 2019, which resulted in a lot of wrestlers not making it to SmackDown. Uh, Vince, by the way, and a few others left on the corporate jet. Um, but yeah, that's it, it resulted in a settlement. So WWE did not want to fight this and, and allow this to go to Discovery. Allowing it to go to Discovery would have made a lot of records public that might have shed more light on this relationship between WWE and Saudi Arabia. Uh, People like Bix and I would be the first to, to look that stuff over. Uh, so, so they settled that, that, uh, lawsuit for $39 million that their insurers pay. So it's not something that came right out of W's pockets here. Um, but it's caused uh, some problems for W. There's some, some costs, but ultimately financially looking at it purely from a financial standpoint, it's, it's worth $50 million every time they go there, uh, $110 million a year. So that's, they just reported a billion dollars in revenue. That's 10% of their entire company's revenue that they're getting just for these shows. So it's a, I look at it as a controversy fee. Yeah. And, uh, and David, I mean, I know you, you wrote about it extensively at the time, but that 
I mean, there are still, I think, so many questions that people have about that October 2019 event. Um, the fact that, I mean, not only did you have like evidence of the broadcast, I believe starting like an hour after it's like advertised start time. So it's like that there is, there is smoke there. Um, whether it's in completely, you know, it links the two there, there is evidence that it started late. And then on top of it, something very unfamiliar for at least, uh, from, following a WWE set of like mindset is the amount of tweets we had come out from like wrestlers, family members as well. Like this is not one where it was just vent in private and put on a a happy face. Like there were a lot of disgruntled people and, and by extension family members who were at least concerned. And I, I think it's, it's still like an area that um I'm sure WWE does not want people to be uh, going into any kind of depth, um, regardless of what is there or not there. And, and John, if I could just jump in and add like one more detail, the, sure. the, the, the claim was that the Saudis were, were behind on their payments to WWE. And we did see that in their accounts receivable line in their uh, right. SEC filings. So somebody owed them a lot of money, uh, on the Halloween day earnings call that was also happening that day, right. the day of the it show. It was the same day as the show. Yeah. That though, that worked out with the earnings call. Yes. Vince was not on the call, but Barrios was. Barrios said, we just got a 60 some odd million dollar payment. Uh, uh, didn't say who it was from, but it's apparently from the Saudis. So that was before the show happened though. So the timing, I don't know. There, there's, there's smoke to this, but the timing doesn't look super obvious, but, but anyway. Yeah, I was just kind of curious, uh, David, as well, kind of uh, like your own uh, reporting at, at that time. And and again, like this is one where it's 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 very atypical to see um, talent uh, be to, to kind of vent publicly. I mean, that is something not to say it's unheard of, but nonetheless, it's it's not the norm. I don't know how I got my camera out of sort there. Um, <laughs> I don't I'm not getting a good angle. There we go. Um, there we go. I mean, one thing we need to stress too, I think with this is besides, yes, that, you know, you look at Twitter, you know, NBC action was not tweeting about the show until an hour in treating, you know, their hour delayed version with the screenshots and gifts and everything is live, even though it had been advertised for an hour earlier and there was no explanation as to why it got moved back an hour. Um, you can see fans tweeting at them, tweeting at Dave Meltzer, from you know Saudi Saudi Arabia and other places in the Middle East asking why the show wasn't airing there yet. So that like that happened. WWE gave someone. I, I think it was maybe Justin Barrasso, maybe Alfred Kanawa, did give someone a statement saying that just whatever issue there was had nothing to do with anything else. But they never, issues. But, <laughs> but they've never given any explanation for the TV thing. Um. Now, as far as the flight, I mean, I'll take you through what I heard that night. Um, so I get a message from someone else in wrestling media, his mutual acquaintance of all three of us, saying, actually, let me read it. I have it in the blog I wrote. Uh, so it was a little after midnight, and I get this message. Have you, have you heard anything about everyone coming back from Saudi? Uh, keep alert. It's, I'm getting it handed down that something's up and they're not making SmackDown. Um, so then I message one of the wrestlers that's on, that I know is there and they reply, big shit show. 
we're all pretty certain we're being held hostage. That is from someone on the plane at that moment. And let me, I'll read, I mean, I don't need to say they, it's before they had the women's matches, I can say he. Um, here's what he said when he wrote it down in more detail. Um, while sitting in the airport initially, we're told to line up to get on the plane. Then we were told it would be 10 more minutes. Then about 30 minutes later, we were told it's going to be another 30 minutes. After an hour goes by, we get another 10 minutes. No one is telling us what's going on or why we're being held. Then finally, we're told it's because we have to refuel the plane, so it may take another hour. Why should we need to refuel the plane now when it's been sitting in the exact same position it was when it dropped us off two days prior? The reason for charters is to get a group of people out on time and have everything ready to go. And AJ Styles, the mostly defending WWE at the time, did back up the claim that they were told that it hadn't been refueled. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's absolutely corroborated. Um, and then, you know, from the wrestler I talked to, I don't, in the blog I wrote, I didn't quote it all directly, but he said they were told the technician who could fill the fuel, fill the fuel tank was in, not around, then told three minutes later they were good to board. And I did reach out to WWE when I wrote this and, well, when I originally drafted it and then, uh, asking and they didn't reply, giving any reason for the conflicting explanations to the talent. Um, and then, we all get on the plane. We haven't eaten a meal in eight hours. I ask the flight attendants what's going on. He told me he had no idea why they were holding us. If it was mechanical, wouldn't they let someone know? He said all the, all he knows is for some reason these people don't care to get you guys out of here. Pilot jumps on the intercom, says, folks, I'm sorry, but we're not sure what's going on. It's beyond our control, and we're not going to be able to leave right now. Please bear with us. Yeah, and th- and this, of course, just for those that are um, n- not familiar, this, of course, was the SmackDown that featured, you know, all of the NXT talent that was rushed in uh, to to fill up the the show because it was going to be a significant amount of the roster unavailable, which is like another interesting element to this deal that, you know, if you're you're Fox and hear this this show that, um, you know, you you have the assurance that you know the travel is taken care of. We have a chartered flight that is to mitigate any of these kind of uh of issues. And here is our live broadcast that we are we may not have our our stars available for. And uh, e- and even this week, like this is one where you know SmackDown's getting a taped show this week, which was something. When you look at back during the pandemic, it's not like they were bringing everyone down to the performance center for three, four days to tape two months of shows. It was, you know, it was a routine coming down. They were doing, I think, like two shows and then, you know, coming back because of that idea of, of not tape. They weren't bulk taping. Um, so that like, that's an interesting aspect of this as well, that this deal, um, you know, they have had to shift around certain uh, broadcasting practices for, for Fox on top of it. When it comes to the, um, the, the follow up lawsuits, Brandon, where are we at with, with those? Because there were a few that kind of, kind of followed in, in the wake of the, of the initial, uh, one, one as well. Is that accurate? And are those, cause I know some were all lumped in, but are there still outstanding ones now? My understanding is that they're all put together as one class action lawsuit. And, uh, the, the period to claim. So if you, so the, the, the period, is February 7th. If you held, uh, W shares between this time, you could have, uh, 
collected some damages as a result of this lawsuit being settled uh, for shareholders February 7th, 2019 to February 5th, 2020. So just under a year-long period. Uh, yeah, they, they've all been settled. It's, it's too late to make a claim now, but uh, they ended up suing uh, the board of directors specifically. Uh, I was just look, looking through today, and there are some meeting minutes that were uh, exhibits in the lawsuit. Those are all sealed. I was excited that maybe I was going to find uh, some meeting minutes from uh, W board of directors meetings, but uh, not so. Uh, yeah, but that, they, they seem to be all... I, I would say settled and finished, but WWE did, did list in their legal proceedings uh, all of these cases again. Uh, then again, they still list the, the CTE lawsuits uh, in, in their latest annual report as ongoing. So uh, for, for all intents and purposes, though, I don't expect any big news uh, coming out of these, these suits going forward. Mm-hmm. It, it's also like when you look at you know various performers, like we, we mentioned Sami Zayn, that we are of the impression cannot go and do these shows, but you know, he has really not spoken about this publicly, uh, nor to my knowledge, has he been asked uh, ab- about this. And you have other performers that have just, uh, you know, from crown jewel 2018 onward, um, Kevin Owens was not going to the shows. Brian Danielson was not going on to the shows. John Cena was not going uh, to, to the shows as well, but it, it does seem like this is like a subject that really does not come up in, you know, when, you know, it, I'm not expecting like a John Cena to be asked this on some of the the outlets he's doing, but it's it's also like it seems like this is one where everyone's going to like run from this subject and not really uh, tackle like the whys. And it's just interesting to see um, like such a major story, but it's it's one that I don't think is going to get broached on any kind of meaningful level. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that John Cena apparently made a choice to not do the the Saudi shows after uh, the the Khashoggi killing. Um, but that he's he's so careful about not upsetting the Chinese government. There was that controversy uh, several months ago where he accidentally referred to Taiwan as a country, and the, the Chinese government doesn't view Taiwan as a country. And he put out this uh, big apology. But yeah, how do I put this? Um, one thing I think we need to stress that doesn't really get talked about that much is, though, yes. Seemingly as a consequence of WWE negotiating things after the Khashoggi murder, the really overt propaganda has not been part of the show since the first show. Although I think to say they're not propaganda is ridiculous because it doesn't have to be screaming in your face to be propaganda. I mean, there's value in just the shows being there and then what they put on their own, you know, Saudi government social media accounts. But there's something we need to stress because I feel like this rarely gets brought up. Yes, have a lot of companies been doing a lot of business with Saudi Arabia as part of Vision 2030 and their whole plan to make them seem more mainstream and modern and progressive? Yes. However, as best as I can tell, only two companies made deals with them that were like the WWE deal, where it seems like they were required to actually do like active propaganda for them. WWE... And seemingly American Media Inc., the parent company of the National Enquirer, who I think it was around the same time as Greatest Royal Rumble, maybe a month or two before, out of nowhere put out this, like, you know how, like, people and some other, and I guess AMI and some other magazine companies will put out, like, just random glossy magazines about, like, celebrity that just died or anniversary of whatever. AMI put one out that was basically just glorifying Saudi Arabia. 
for no apparent reason. So when we talk about this, like, yes, there are a lot of companies doing business there. Yes. Did, you know, Matchroom Boxing sell a big fighter to, to the Saudi government to run there? Yes. But other than the location that it's the other sporting events generally, you wouldn't have any idea that you, they were bought by the Saudi government specifically unless you had read the news about it. The sh- you know, the broadcast themselves were normal, for lack of a better term. So WWE is doing something different from just about everyone else and I, that's doing business there. And I don't feel like that's really brought up that much. And I think as well, like when you look at, um, you know, Jamal Khashoggi, I mean, it was just such a, such a seismic event worldwide that so many people were just aghast by. And yet you are only a short time removed from MBS going on this world tour and really selling Vision 2030. And it's very much being presented as like the new face of Saudi Arabia. This is someone he's on the front cover of Time magazine. He's on with Oprah. Like it was very much like a, a worldwide public relations tour to present like the, the new, the evolution of, of Saudi Arabia. And I, I think it was the Jamal Khashoggi murder that uh, completely, um, separated that um that that branding that they were certainly out for like that was a huge part of v- vision 2030 was putting the, literally putting a new face on on Saudi Arabia on top of it yeah and, and my understanding is that Jam- so Jamal Khashoggi is a, a journalist columnist for the Washington Post who's living in the United States I believe in Virginia uh he was a Saudi citizen um he was trying to finalize his divorce so that he could marry his fiance to do that uh, he understood that he had to go to the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, which is where he was met by Saudi agents and then ultimately killed, dismembered. Um, so I, my understanding is that he was not, it's not as if he was super critical of, of the Saudi government. He was, he seems to have been mildly critical, uh, uh on social issues towards them. Uh, and, and yet, it was enough that the Saudi government, whether or not MBS authorized it, I believe the CIA believes that he did, or at least had knowledge of it, uh, they, they felt they had to silence him. Um, but uh, as far as the, we should, we should probably point out, what are the state of, of women's rights here as, as WE talks about being part of the change and um, uh, putting on women's matches is contributing to this sort of message of, of Saudi Arabia being this more accepting country in that. So women did get the, the right to vote in 2015. They got the right to drive in 2018, although uh, just before they were given the right to drive, uh, some of the activists who pushed for women having the right to drive were jailed uh, and, and, and tortured. Uh, in 2019, uh, they, they are now allowed, women are now allowed to register to vote, or I'm sorry, to register for divorce or marriage. Uh, they're now allowed to live alone. They're not allowed to travel alone. Um, and, and where they're doing the show on Saturday, Jeddah, uh, is more permissive than Riyadh is. Um, but there's still a lot of limits to what women are allowed to do, uh, because of the male guardian, uh, ship system. Uh, it, I, I've tried to, to watch, I don't know if you guys have noticed, is, is, are they, are the men and women separated in the audience on these shows? I imagine that they are. I was just trying to look up what the ticket sales and stuff site said, because at least I know for at least the first few shows, it was phrased in a way that I want to say it was either, quote unquote, I want to, what was it, singles or families was the way they phrased it. 
I think that was right. Yeah. And that singles were individual men and that everyone else was families where either a child or a adult woman would need to be accompanied by a male guardian. But I'm but, trying to find it. Let's see. I'm glad that uh, Brandon did uh, differentiate uh, Riyadh from Jeddah because if you caught uh, Bill Goldberg's Instagram video this morning, he uh, he put his his camera out to the the skyline and said, "Here in beautiful Riyadh." And then he had to note afterwards, "We're actually in Jeddah." It was a very long flight, so it's a good thing Bill Goldberg knows what what city he is in. He's there Saturday. Show. He didn't he know there. what city he was in. He yeah. was he he was under the impression he was in Riyadh, but did post the the correction a- afterwards. I, I'm curious as well for for both of you. Um, is, is this a show? Are you are you two like sitting down and actually uh, watching th- this show? Like, ha- I'm I'm kind of curious just as well about just your own uh, kind of uh, WWE consumption. Is this a show you watch, Brandon? I, I watch limited amounts of WWE content. Uh, I, I I do put on the pay per views pretty consistently. Uh, these shows because they've been in the middle of the day here at US time. Uh, at, at times they've been in the middle of the daytime when I'm busy doing other things. So I've, I will kind of catch the, I, I did, I do have, uh, specific memories of that, of that Undertaker Goldberg match watching that live. So I must have caught that, that big main event. But, uh, this is a Saturday afternoon show. I don't know. I'm, I, uh, it depends on how busy I am. It's on Saturday afternoon, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not an event I'm, I'm excited about. I, I think like thinking about it creatively, there's, and, and, but, but first let's talk about popularity. I think there's, a, there's a preponderance of issues that have contributed to, to WWE's apparent decline in popularity over the last six, seven years. But I, I think that these events are one of them in, in two different ways, both in terms of the moral factor, fans not approving of it, but also the priority that's put on them sort of without any build and the, the sort of pot piling in all these legends and whatnot. It's, it's, it seems to, to water down the creative. Uh, of 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 the entire calendar of events, somewhat as well. Do you sense the same, uh, David? Just in terms of the like the fan engagement uh, for these shows, like it certainly seems to be ones that I mean, obviously there's there's no expense spared for the shows, and I just I just wonder if like if there if if there's honestly been like a meaningful kind of disengagement when it comes to these shows or rather that this is kind of just accepted as, you know, these are shows they go to twice a year. We might not be crazy about these shows, but at the end of the day, I'm a WWE fan and I'm being told these are, these are important shows and I'm going to treat them as such. I mean, I think a lot of it was just the time and day that so many of these were on weekday afternoons too, right? The, la- right? the last one was the first one that was on a, or actually wait, was the last one on the weekend or was that still a weekday? No, I think they've, they've all been Thursdays up until this point. If I'm I think some were Friday, maybe, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if that, like, if there's more engagement this weekend, because this is also the first time they've done a mainline pay-per-view there as opposed to heading a show to the calendar. You know, which is something we haven't really talked about yet. Like, not only, you know, you said, you know, it's four years and it's a good time to reevaluate this. Another reason is that this is the first time they, they're taking an existing show there, you know, mm-hmm. and it's one, you know, it's the Bridge to WrestleMania show where they're going to set the stuff that's not set by the Royal Rumble. Like, this is in many ways the biggest show they've done. You know, it's the one at the big new stadium. They're doing the Reigns Goldberg match that, you know, was supposed to happen two years ago at Mania and didn't. So 
I'm curious to see how the reaction is going to be. I mean, me personally, I'll probably just be doing podcast editing, so I'll probably just have it on in the background. But with the three women's matches, also, I'm curious to see how overboard do they go in the more propaganda type aspects? Because since they've started having women on the shows again, that's when the more outward obvious propaganda has kind of returned, but only in that context, which I kind of think is by design, like that, that was the compromise that you can't go so overt anymore because after Khashoggi and after some of the response of the first show, even before Khashoggi, it just, it, it's not tenable for WWE as a business doing business internationally. But you know, you get to stress, oh, they're more progressive now. Look, we helped, you know, uh, we're bringing women's wrestling over here. I'm curious to see just how heavy handed they get with it on a show that has, I mean, more women's matches than most, you know, domestic WWE pay-per-views have had lately. Certainly like that. I, I think like that's the major focus of this entire show is, is the women's component on, on Saturday. And, uh, we'll wrap this up in just a couple of minutes. You two have been very generous with your time, but like another aspect to all of this is that this is happening, uh, right in concert with the winter Olympics. And like, I'm not following the Olympics at all, but it seems like the large sentiment is that a lot of people are disengaged with the Olympics and it is because of the, like the conflicts of, of China and, and the, the IOC being so tied into here that the, on a larger scale, such as the, the Winter Olympics, like it's, it's a significant turnoff for, for people. And I think these are kinds of when you're talking about massive, massive amounts of money with autocratic governments, um, these are conflicts that more and more fan bases have to confront and sort of have like, what is, what is your ethical limit that, that you have when it comes to your form of entertainment that you're going to enjoy? Because the idea of just sitting down and watching something devoid of politics, I think that's becoming tricky for a larger percentage of people. Yeah. All, all on Peacock too. Olympics. That's right. Yes. And, and, uh, the crown. Oh, yeah. This is a uh, elimination chamber. All, all on Peacock and, and NBC universal. Uh, as our friend MJ from NJ said, told me, he's, they're, they're double dipping. Um, I, I think it's important to clarify too the amount of money here and how these are different events than any other wrestling event that, that W puts on in that. And in most cases, it's, you know, when we're talking about international events or any, any live events that W puts on, they're putting on a, a, an event in a market and then people buy tickets and then W collects on that revenue. Right. And this, I, I don't know who's collecting the revenue. I imagine the government's probably collecting the, the ticket revenue, uh, for these events. But, uh, WWE's getting a $50 million payment from the government. It's, uh, as an indie wrestler, I, you know, sometimes we would, oh yeah, it's a, this, this show's a bot show, which means it's paid up front. It's paid in advance. So it almost doesn't matter what you draw. Um, so it's, it's clearly the, the value, the product that, that the government is paying for is not being covered by, by the ticket sales or any other revenue that's being generated uh, as a result of, um, of, of the event. Someone um, wants to buy a show. I think they just heard somebody's, that. So, somebody's try, trying to th- th- show this down right now. Uh, but so $50 million, put that, put that in some context. The context I like to put it in is the biggest pro wrestling event ever in terms of a live event ticket sales is WrestleMania 32, $17.3 million. These events are 50 to $55 million. 
So if you multiply that, the, the biggest wrestling event ever, the biggest live gate ever, multiply that by three times, three WrestleManias, and stack them on top of each other, and you have one WWE Saudi event. Uh, and this is this is the seventh one, so I think that means they're up to three hundred and fifty million dollars so far uh, with this event that they've collected from the General Sports Authority. Yeah, you and, something to say? Yeah, one thing I forgot to mention earlier that I also feel is kind of weird slash interesting about this one. So they decide to do a mainline pay per view there, and the pay per view they choose to take over there to the country where they're going to be doing propaganda for the country that's doing genocide in Yemen is the one where they changed the name of the pay-per-view in Germany to not run afoul of their anti-Holocaust glorification laws. That's a choice. Well, that that's the other aspect to this is that there's so much it, – it, it really like – going into that Crown Jewel 2018 event that it just – like there was, and I only watched it again last night was like the John Oliver piece where going into that. Okay. So we're not even, we're just a month removed from the Jamal Khashoggi murder and they're promoting. That's the show that has Sean coming out of retirement with Hunter against Kane and Undertaker. So they put out a post with the Undertaker's urn with DX spray painted on the urn and the tagline respect is out the window at WWE Crown Jewel with this urn that has been defaced. And it is just like, you just can't navigate around any of this. Like the idea that, um, you know, as you're promoting these shows, I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's just, you know, this is typical pro wrestling promotion, but when you put this, this veil on top of it, it has such a, you know, an elimination chamber that just comes with like the, the, I mean, it just opens itself up for, for, for ridicule, but that is a, that is a, that is the cost of, of doing business and uh, a $50 million payment each time out. As you look at this, Brandon, just like objectively. Well, just, I got to interrupt for a second. Just Sure. This is kind of important in the context of what you were just saying. We also need to remember that less than three weeks after um, that crown jewel, there was that very awkward Stephanie McMahon line on Raw about how dismemberment is a bit of a corporate liability. That's right. Yeah, that was that was immediately after that. Um, yeah, it's um, y- you can go through these. There's there's plenty uh, of those examples. But you know, if you are the government of Saudi Arabia, Brandon, are, are you happy with it with this relationship? Like, we're not even at the midway point yet. You're spending a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's minimal to to them that you're getting this level of exposure and a partner in WWE. That I mean, will. You, you, when you're in business with WWE, this is what you're, you're going to get with them. I mean, they are all in on, on these shows. Like, are you looking at this like 10 years? Man, we can't wait to, to re-up with, billion with, dollars. This, with this company. Yeah, I don't know. You asked me to put myself in the mindset of the government of Saudi Arabia. That's a, that's a challenge. Um, I, I would imagine, I mean, they're, they're the ones who, who, uh, agreed ahead of time, $50 million per event. And, uh, you know, it's in, I mean, like, Practically speaking, it's it's causing conversations like this to happen and raise awareness about just what what their government is up to. Um, but I do think the majority of well, I don't know about the majority. There's a lot of wrestling fans who are are totally unaware of of what's happening and why these events are 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 getting the criticism that they get. Or many fans are probably not even aware that they get criticism for these. Although you know we did, there were occasions where the crown jewel. Uh, promo on, on the one, I think it was SmackDown, got booed. Um, 
and they they did the evolution pay-per-views to as sort of a make good for the for the women who, who couldn't be there but um yeah it's uh it's i i think for for most fans it's not a huge deal and it's probably doing what the government wants it to do in terms of i, th- I think the biggest product for this is that you get a, a globally broadcast event it's not just on the on tv in the united states i mean it's not a massive audience uh but it's it's a pretty big audience Ugh, the reach will be its highest ever on peacock you, you that's know right. it will be. that's right many percentage uh, increase that this is this is a normal place and it, and it seems okay here there's there's regular american style entertainment here so maybe it's not that bad of, of a place and and i'm sure there's you know there's nothing it's i don't want to make it sound like we're conflating that oh there's bad people in in saudi arabia there's, there's i'm sure there's a lot of enthusiastic w fans who will be in attendance and i'm sure there's you know uh, plenty of good people uh in, in saudi arabia uh, average citizens but what we're talking about here is is the government which is an auto- autocratic government where uh women's rights are limited and there's human rights violations is a blockade of uh of yemen where there's a famine and uh there's there's basically no lgbt rights uh if you're, you know, the same sex activity is, is basically illegal. And, and, uh, there's a, a and, and that's worth talk. noting that, that Sonia Deville is one of the women on, on the yeah. card this Saturday. And I, I don't know if that will even be brought to light, um, on the broadcast, um, or, or not. Like that I'm sure is, it won't be. I mean, like, I, I don't think so either, yeah. but it is notable that she is on this card. Yeah. Like they're, they're, Saudi Arabia politically appears to be, oh yes, they're, they're willing to make certain, uh, accommodations when it comes to women's rights, but they have, do not appear to be moving on LGBTQ rights. Um, but, you know, and then, and W has a number of people who are, you know, openly gay or bisexual or whatever it is. And, uh, I, I always wonder about that. I mean, how is that being dealt with? And I, I don't, I, I don't know if I would feel safe there if, if I were a gay person being, you know, on one of these shows, but, uh, yeah. Well, guys, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, you guys, uh, stayed for, uh, this great chat. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Me personally, like I, I have a real hard time just covering these shows as typical wrestling shows. I think these conversations are very important. Um, I, I don't think we do enough of them to be quite frank. So, uh, I want to thank both of you. I thought of you two immediately as, uh, the best people to come on and uh, chat about this. And I want to get, uh, both of you to, uh, let our viewers and listeners know where they can read more uh, from you. Uh, starting with you, Mr. Bixenspan, you have a feature out with, uh, with Fanbite. Uh, just looking back 25 years removed from, uh, Shawn Michaels vacating the WWF championship and a very, you know, a very famous promo that, uh, you've kind of recontextualized 25 years later. Yeah, it was uh 25 years ago this past Tuesday was the, you know, infamous Thursday Raw Thursday special because Raw was uh preempted for the Westminster Kennel Club dog show that week which all, all these years probably, later still still getting bumped from their their home broadcast. And boy does that sound weird to people who didn't experience it either, but yes, uh rich people watch dog shows, so even though if it does lesser ratings then and, and Canadians watch curling because TSN bumped it all over the place uh, for for curling. Curling still dominates. So are you saying I need to hurry hard through my plugs here? <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, um, but anyway, yeah. So I have, you know, have an article at Fanbyte kind of trying to look back at the Lost My Smile interview and how with hindsight between what he says there, what he said since what was being covered at the time, what was already known about him in the previous year and a half with, you know, that he was passed out in the car when those guys 
drag him out and beat him up in Syracuse, that he had, you know, repeatedly lost his temper in the middle of matches on pay-per-view, that he had repeatedly tried to strip naked both on pay-per-view and sometimes succeeded at house shows. This is a guy who was breaking down. And I think if you view it through how we've been viewing stuff, especially lately, like with the Moxley stuff, like with some of the stuff Eddie Kingston has said, I think it looks a lot different. So I have that there. I have some other stuff there that's come out in the last few weeks. And I should have something up in the next week or so also about the 25th anniversary of the original six weeks of Shotgun Saturday Night as uh, Vince McMahon's weird, would you call it his vision of what an ECW type show would look like, I guess. Um, I, ima- I imagine he sat down to watch it and this was his, uh, his takeaway from, from ECW. Let's, let's yeah. So that, so that'll be up, uh, probably, uh, yeah, I would guess early next week. Um, of course I got my sub stack at babyfaceveheel.com. Um, the last thing I put up there was the story about how there probably wasn't actually a rule that allowed the New York state athletic commission to kick uh, Nick Wayne off the GCW show at the Hammerstein. Um, and also, well, and also some of Brandon's friends in Buffalo get brought up too, because they had had some uh, related run-ins with the commission a few months ago. So uh, that's up there. And also, uh, you know, between the sheets available on all your favorite podcast platforms. We actually did cover Thursday, Raw Thursday on the show that's out this week. We covered 96 on the show that's out. Monday, uh, including the In Your House with the Brett Diesel cage match and uh, the first Larry Fling live uh, billionaire Ted skit on Raw. So that's on there. Um, and of course, we have our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets, where instead of covering a week in history as we do on the main show, we do deep dives. Uh, last month was for the 25th, an- excuse me, 30th anniversary of the end of the TWA, the first Super Indie. We covered uh, Joe Goodhart. This month, we're covering the beginnings of ROH and, uh, you know, tons of stuff in the archives, including what is it, uh, eight parts on ECW on TNN and the end of ECW, you know, the sale of WCW, lots of lots of Paul Heyman content, especially in Eddie Gilbert content. But that's at patreon.com slash between the sheets for people who do five dollars a month or higher or the uh, discounted annual version. And Brandon, what is coming up? This Sunday, I'm sure you'll have a, a match-by-match breakdown of Elimination Chamber with uh, Chris Gullo. Yes, we'll be we'll be doing a play-by-play of, of the event. No, uh, I don't know. I have to write some slides. That usually happens Friday and Saturday night. Uh, but tonight, uh, on we'll be I'll be doing live TV ratings talk, talking about the TV ratings just a little while after the Dynamite rating comes out uh, this afternoon. Uh, the the Pro Wrestling Industry Report 2021 yes. is is out uh, with 72 pages of key metrics, insights, analysis. You can get that uh, through patreon.com slash WrestleNomics and through a, a pay hip link that is on my pin to the top of my Twitter account. Uh, I just wrote the other day uh, an estimate. So if you're uh, you're into W stock, uh, I just wrote an estimate the other day that is on Patreon now. Uh, it'll be on the .com free website a, a few days later. Uh, just estimating what I think uh, W is going to report for uh, 2022 for each quarter of the year. Awesome stuff, guys. Uh, thank you so much, uh, for joining me tomorrow. Uh, in this very same time, uh, I'm going to be joined by Garrett Gonzalez from 
Fight Game Media and the Wrestling Observer site will be going all, all over the headlines. And Wei Ting will be live later today, 3 Eastern, for all our patrons with the Wellness Policy with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan. And that is going to wrap it up for your post-daily news update. 